Good morning, church family. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, one of the elders that uh, serve as our leadership group, and um, we are glad to see you this morning. We want to welcome you. Um, Yeah, welcome. It's good to be together. It's good to kind of kick off our fall season together. And I wanted to, uh, after the last few minutes that we shared together, I wanted to thank you, church family, because as we lifted our voices in song, I heard you. As we said, worthy are you, I heard you. And I'm not, I'm not just saying good job singing. I'm saying it was helpful to me to hear you. As we lifted our voices and said, worthy, do you think it made me think of you and how impressive you are? Or did you point me to Jesus? That's what I experienced in that this morning. And so thank you for, for singing out and whether, whether you say amen out loud sometimes occasionally, whether you stand, whether you sit, whether you raise your hands, whether you don't, whether you clap, whether you don't, these are all expressions of, of giving our praise to Jesus. And as we express our praise to Jesus, I'm encouraged and pointed to Jesus. So as good as our worship team is in using their musical gifts to lead us in singing, when we clap at the end of a song, are we clapping for them? Or are we giving praise to Jesus? And so we can. And so all those things that I listed are, are, are ways that you can, if you choose, if God moves in you, ways that you can engage in our time of worship through music and ways that you can respond and ways that you can show your worship to Jesus. So that was all unplanned commentary, but thank you. Um, pop quiz. Simply... Don't get all nervous and scared. Pop quiz, that's like not, that's like fearful term, right? Except this is the best kind of pop quiz. It's open book. Or in this case, it's open screen. The answers to my pop quiz right now are on the screen. Okay? Our new, new teaching series for the next few weeks is called what? You nailed it. And uh, for this new teaching series, we're going to be studying what book of the Bible, church family? Man, you guys are sharp. Okay, now it gets slightly tougher, but the open quiz is still open book. Uh, Who is this book of the Bible written to? Sojourners. Those that are passing through, believers in Jesus, earthly, our earthly life, we are just passing through because this is not our home. And so as we study 1 Peter, we want to ask God to show us how to live for Jesus in this temporary home that we are sojourning through. So who is the book of 1 Peter 2? Sojourners. And again, it's open book. Who is this book of the Bible written by? Oh, Nice. Anybody ever heard of him? You may have heard of him. Peter, one of the 12 disciples, one of the the 12 earliest followers of Jesus. In fact, one of Jesus' closest friends. So let me back up and let me give you just some Cliff Notes highlights version of Peter's life to refresh our memory and to set the stage of who is writing this book of the Bible. Peter, the, the fisherman... The fisherman who, when called by Jesus, dropped everything to follow Jesus. Peter, one of only three disciples that Jesus invited into this sacred moment and allowed them to witness the the resurrection from the dead of Jairus' daughter. Peter, 
one of only three disciples that Jesus invited into the sacred moment of going to the mountaintop and seeing Jesus reveal himself in all his glory. We call it the transfiguration in scripture. Peter was there. Then in Matthew 16, Jesus said to his friends, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? Of all the people are saying different things, what do you think my true identity is? And Simon Peter's reply was, you are the Christ, the promised rescuer, the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. That's what Peter said. And to that, Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven revealed that to you. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That Peter. And then the night before Jesus was crucified, in Matthew 26, Jesus and his friends had, had shared in the Lord's Supper, and then they sung a hymn, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away from me tonight. And Peter answered, those guys might fall away. Though they fall away, though they don't choose to follow you anymore, though they give up and walk away because they're scared, I will never fall away, Peter said. And Jesus said to Peter, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. That's what Peter said. That Peter. And even still, that night, the night before Jesus' brutal crucifixion and death on the cross, Peter was one of only three that Jesus invited into the sacred moment of praying with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then Jesus was arrested and headed to trial and was taken to trial and, and would be killed by a brutal execution on a Roman cross, though he had never done anything wrong. And in Matthew 26, as Jesus was arrested and headed to trial, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to Peter and said, Hey, you were with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it before them all, saying, I do not know who you mean. And then he went out to the entrance, and another servant girl saw Peter, and she said to the bystanders, Hey, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the by... After a little while, the bystanders came up to Peter and said, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, Peter did, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Jesus crucified, dead, buried, 
gone, missed, and then an empty tomb. I don't think it's a coincidence Pastor Matt had us start this morning with songs of empty graves and resurrection life. So soon after Jesus' marvelous, victorious resurrection from the dead, conquering sin and conquering death, Jesus was alive again. And where do we pick up Peter's life story? In John 21, Peter said to his friends, the other disciples, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection, and Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, well, we'll go with you. And they went out and they got in their boat, and that night they caught, any guesses? Nada. Zip, zilch, nada. These professional fishermen said, let's go fishing. I need something to do. I need to distract myself. I'm missing Jesus. Caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And yet, Jesus stood on the shore, dead, buried, and alive again. And standing on the shore, revealing himself to his closest friends. And they didn't recognize him right away. And so Jesus called out to them, children, do you have any fish? And they go, no. And he said, well, hey, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. What would you have been thinking? So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple named John immediately realized what this must mean, who that guy must be. And so he says to the other guys, it's the Lord. And Peter goes, what? It's the Lord. He put his cloak on and jumped in the water and started swimming for Jesus. He didn't want to wait to let the boat go in. He said, it's the Lord. And so he started swimming and the other guys kind of hauled the rest of the fish in and they came behind in the boat. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Jesus is chilling, making a barbecue breakfast with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, come bring some of the fish that you just caught. Come and have breakfast with me. And this was now uh, the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he raised from the dead. And then Peter, remembering his denial, remembering himself falling short, remember him, remembering himself failing, to honor Jesus with his life and words. Look at this beautiful, restorative, forgiving encounter that Jesus comes to Peter with on the shore of that, that morning with breakfast on the barbecue. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him a second time, I missed a part. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said back to him, feed my lambs. In other words, be a shepherd. As I have cared for you, loved you, shepherded you, guided you, guide and shepherd and love others. Teach the word of God to others. So the second time Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then tend my sheep. And a third time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because Jesus had said that a third time, do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
And after saying this, Jesus said to him, follow me. That same Peter, that Peter, just a short time later, just a few days later, boldly preached the word of God, the good news of Jesus, that peace with God is only found in Jesus Christ. Just a few days after that encounter over breakfast, Peter, before thousands, boldly proclaimed the gospel good news, and not because of Peter, but because of the work of God and the power of the Spirit working in the hearts of listeners, 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus Christ that day. Through Peter. Not because of Peter, but through Peter. And then, about 30 years later, I don't know as much about Peter's journey from then till 30 years later. But here's what I want to add about 30 years later. 30 years later for Peter, years of growing and maturing and gaining God-given wisdom and, and, and having lived a life devoted to following Jesus, 30 years later, God used Peter to write Scripture. The guy we just described the guy who had highs and lows like the best of roller coasters. The guy who had denied Jesus three times but had been restored three times. 30 years later, God used him to write scripture, and we, church family, 2,000 years later, are going to hear God through the words that Peter put on paper in the book of our Bible that we call First Peter. And as we hear from God through his word in the letter that is called First Peter, let me remind you that the word of God is living and active and absolutely as relevant for you today as it ever was when it was written. Are you with me on that? So, we're in the book of First Peter in your Bibles. I invite you to follow along for the next few minutes in whatever way is most helpful to you. In other words, if you want to crack your Bible and follow along with me in First Peter, that would be great. If it's best learning style for you to read with me, I'm reading from the ESV translation. If you, your learning style, your preference, whatever, would rather just engage and listen, uh, listen and, and absorb and ask God to speak to you through his word, then that would be just fine as well. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is the beginning of the letter that Peter is writing to the sojourners. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles or sojourners of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused us to be born to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, throughout the time of your sojourn, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were ransomed, redeemed, rescued, restored with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly, from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You are being built up to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For it stands in the scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, followers of Jesus, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once, church family, once, believers in Jesus, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures suffering, uh, endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him, to the only one who judges justly. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, 
the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is God, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet give that reason for that hope you have with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, if you don't understand that, just ask Pastor Jake. That's what I'm planning to do. Maybe, I'll have, maybe, you'll, maybe he'll teach that week. Okay, I interrupted myself. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of the dirt from your body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into the heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices 
for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, that they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But then he keeps going. <laughs> it's a pretty short letter. I believe I'm going to read the whole letter to us, hearing from word of God, living and active. Stay with me. The word of God is living and active. The whole letter is only going to be about 15 minutes, and I'm most of the way through. But rather than, but rather than just go to a couple verses... I think it's important for us to hear God's word in its entirety where we're going to be for the next several weeks. So that's why we're doing this. Where was I? (laughs) Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and and if it begins with us, then what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, everyone else, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And Peter signs off his letter this way, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Well, that concludes our series in the book of 1 Peter. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I know that's not necessarily easy, and I know it's not what is the norm around here, but thanks for bearing with me. Thanks for your patience. I trust that God, by his Spirit, speaks through his word. And so we took the time this morning to be in his word, to take a big picture look, at the chunks that we're going to study a little more closely in the next uh, 10 weeks or so, I believe, between now and uh, about Thanksgiving time. So thanks for hearing God's word to us through the letter that Peter wrote. And then I want to take just a couple more minutes then to encourage us hopefully from, from a couple pieces of that first part of the book, of the letter. Church family, this will come as no surprise to you. In fact, we just read a chunk of scripture in 1 Peter that said, do not be surprised when a fiery trial comes upon you, as if something strange were happening. Sorry to break it to you, it's the norm for followers of Jesus, for people living in a broken world. So it won't come as any surprise to you that since the fall, what we call the fall in, in, in early chapters of Genesis, when, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose poorly and went, chose their own way and chose to rebel and chose to make, put themselves in charge instead of honoring God's wishes, since the fall, since the entrance of sin into the world, things are not as they should be. The world that we experience in our relationships and in circumstances and in events and in catastrophe and in death and in pain and in trial, none of that is as God originally designed it to be. But since the entrance of sin into the world, we experience those things, hardship and pain and trial and suffering, and difficulty and troubles and disease and death. And because of that, Peter, that Peter, the one we described at the beginning, the one whose life was a roller coaster of highs and lows of following Jesus, 
because of that reality of the world, the broken world we live in, that Peter, who had been through all of that with Jesus and who had witnessed Jesus' death and resurrection, and, and, and through all that he had learned, and over all those years of following Jesus, and God having him put, put pen to paper, so to speak, and write scripture, after all that Peter had learned, the good news of the gospel that he preached was this from chapter, th- uh, from chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he has caused us to be born into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, followers of Jesus, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The resurrection of Jesus means good things for us. The resurrection of Jesus doesn't only mean that he's alive, it means that we are alive in him. Alive now and alive forever. The resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Is that good news? (laughs) So there is new birth. We can be born again. We can come out of the darkness and into the light. We come out of death to new life. Because Jesus rose, because of his victorious resurrection, because he conquered sin and death, he makes it possible for us to put sin behind us and face and and experience new life as well. He is our living hope. And and that expression, living hope, we could look at that lots of ways. He is our living hope because, in case you missed it, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and reigning from the right hand of God. He is our living hope. Jesus is the living hope. But he, it is also a living hope for us because of his resurrection, we too can have life and be living. So he is the living hope and he gives us living hope. So far, so good? And, and, and by the way, when we talk about hope right here, when we use the word hope, you know, there's a lot of ways in your experiences and in your different interactions and in your different groups of people that you use the word hope. I hope the weather stays nice for a few more weeks. I hope the ducks have a good season. Some of you don't share in that hope. See? See, those are some of the ways we use the word hope. It's, 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 it, I'm not, we're not talking here about a cross-your-fingers kind of hope. Here's what Paul Tripp says about biblical hope. Paul Tripp writes that biblical hope is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result that changes the way you live. Me hoping the ducks have a good season is not putting my hope in a guaranteed outcome. Hoping that the weather stays nice in Oregon (laughs) is not putting my hope in in a a confident expectation of, 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 of a future reality, right? But biblical hope is, is a confident expectation in a result that's guaranteed. And as a result, it ought to change the way we live. We have a living hope who gives us living hope. Jesus is alive. And in him, you too, followers of Jesus, have new life. 
Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And then we look at verse 6. In this, in this living hope, in this gospel good news, you rejoice, church family. And at first that sounds good, but wait, where does it go next? In this living hope, in this gospel good news, you rejoice, though now for a little while in your earthly journey through a broken world, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. When we first heard it say, hey, you, follower of Jesus, rejoice. Yeah, we're going, okay, no problem, because just, we just celebrated who Jesus is, the living hope, the resurrection from the dead. Woo! And then God's word says, you, as you pass, as you sojourn through your earthly life that is not your true home, your true home is in heaven. Follower of Jesus, your citizenship is in the presence of God. But it says we can rejoice, and I got to preach this. I want you to know I need to preach this to myself. And you need to preach it to yourself. I need to preach it to myself because right now, for a little while, we're grieved by various trials. We, me, my family, and I know many of you. If necessary, it says it is necessary because God is at work for our good and his glory. If we see our relationships and our circumstances and, and, we, and we just hope for better, we're, we're missing the opportunity to see that our great sovereign God who sees all and rules over all things and orchestrates all things and that everything that happens in our life is either ordained by God or allowed by God. We've said before that everything that happens by God passes over his desk. If we believe and trust and know that our God is that big and that good, then even in our broken circumstances and our hardships and our trials and our suffering and our pain, we can know that he's at work for our good and his ultimate glory. And, and so, so church family, when we study 1 Peter for the next 10 weeks, we're going to be reminded frequently that suffering as a Christian is not a surprise. But God is with you. And there's good that results as we endure suffering. And here's where we're going to end is just Reread just a couple more verses. Chapter 1, verse 7. There are good results that result when we endure suffering as followers of Jesus. Verse 7 says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, though the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revealing of Jesus Christ, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see, now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice, church family. Peace is possible with God, even in the midst of these circumstances. And look at here in verse uh, 8. You believe in him, though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father in heaven, we are thankful for an opportunity to study your word together. 
And Father, I pray that as we continue on in the coming weeks in our study through this book of the Bible called 1 Peter, I pray that we will see that you are a God who brings peace in the midst of chaos. I, I pray that we would be so uh, overwhelmed with joy at that, that message of preacher Peter that true peace is found in Jesus. God, I pray that as we continue in, in the weeks ahead in our study that, we will, that you will show us how joy is possible even in the midst of suffering. God, that you, that as we lean into you, that as we trust in you, as we entrust ourselves to you, that you make peace possibility, that you bring, can bring calm to storms, and that you can help us to rejoice even in the midst of pain and trial and suffering, because we know that you are at work for our good and your glory. So we thank you, Father, that you have come to us through your Son, Jesus, that you are near to us through the Spirit of Christ that lives within us. Teach us, Father, to increasingly lean into Jesus for all that we need, to, to not have Jesus be a part of our lives, an occasional aspect of our lives, a checkbox religious piece of our lives, but God, teach us to live in Jesus and help us to celebrate that Christ lives in us, transforming us from the inside out and helping us to live in obedience to him. And Father, as you teach us those things, as you teach us and draw us near, and as you use us in our community, we pray the same for our sister church in Ridgefield, Washington, Vista Community Church, and their pastor and their church family. We pray that you would work in powerful ways in them as well, that they would be encouraged, that they would point one another to Jesus, that they would grow in Jesus, that they would increasingly live for Jesus in every area of their lives, and not that that would result in, in them getting applause, but in Jesus getting the glory in their area. And so God, in the coming weeks, may we not be surprised when a fiery trial comes that, that you call us to endure. Help us to preach the gospel good news of living hope to our own hearts when we endure suffering and help us to, to point each other to Jesus as we grieve with those who grieve and as we rejoice with those who rejoice, may we find the peace and the calm and the joy that is only found in our Savior Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.